just in time for summer, the folks at Epic Brewing have released a new canned cocktail, the Utah Margarita. A delicious blend of real lime and agave, the Utah Margarita is ready to drink by the river or in the park. And here's the kicker, no need to buy it at a liquor store. Pick up a six-pack of Epic Brewing's Utah Margarita at any local Harmon's or Trader Joe's, or visit Epic Brewing on State Street in downtown Salt Lake City. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. Medicinal cannabis dispensaries are everywhere now, from Brigham City to Price and, of course, Salt Lake. But it was a rocky start three years ago when the state rolled out its medical program, which begs the question, where are we now? And where are we headed? It's Thursday, April 20th. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Benjamin Wood, City Weekly News Editor. First of all, happy 420. Happy 420, Allie. It's a pleasure to be here. You've got a story out, and actually City Weekly has a whole issue out dedicated to 420. But your story explores the trajectory of the state's medical cannabis program, which I think some people who honestly are new here might even be surprised to learn that we have. Yeah, not not just that we have it, but it's it's quite accessible. I mean, it has its flaws like any system does. But as I talk to people, there's often just a surprise at how easy of a process it actually is to get through. Yeah. Well, it feels appropriate that on 420 we talk in terms of vibe. So in one word, how would you characterize the vibe of this program? (laughs) I think the vibe of the program right now is mature. I mean, if any, if anything, yeah, the, the controversy is less and less every year. It's just not the debate it used to be. And meanwhile, the people who are paying attention, they've been making little adjustments here and there that has left us with a program that, you know, tens of thousands of Utahns are taking advantage of all throughout the state. I mean, it's it's here. It's everywhere. It's- yeah. Well, it launched in 2019. What kind of hiccups have there been on this journey? The biggest one has been the renewal frequency. Uh, You know, most people are getting their cards through a cash referral clinic and to visit one of those, I mean, you're looking at a hundred bucks, 200 bucks a pop. And it used to be that, you know, you'd have to renew after a month and then renew after three months and then renew after six months, right? And that's like 200 bucks a pop every time. So as of this year, you can get your card for a year at a time. So just that alone is, is, has a potential to cut down a lot of the costs that people were experiencing. Hmm. And you said cash referral clinic. Why cash? Well, simply the federal status just makes insurance companies really reluctant to take this on. Now, some are, uh, especially if you have a provider with a traditional practice who avails themselves of the medical program that, you know, that can be covered by insurance. But most of our major healthcare institutions, they are not embracing the program, which means that most of the patients are going through it, you know, kind of sideways through these these clinics that deal only in cannabis recommendations. So in other words, we don't have necessarily as many people that can give referrals as we have patients that need referrals. Like that ratio is off. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. The ratio is off. And, and it's it's off also because we imposed caps, right? So there's just a million reasons mm-hmm. why connecting doctors with patients is the trickiest part of this program. Once you're through that tricky part, it's actually quite simple. 
Uh, not to say that it's, the costs don't continue, but yeah, that, that initial uh, interaction with a medical professional because they have to be duly licensed with the state and, you know, the, the inner mountains of the world, they're not rushing to get cards out. Why do you think that is? I, again, it just goes back to the federal status, you know, especially for yeah. these big players. You know, you know, the little guys, the feds aren't going to bother. They, they have bigger fish to fry, right? But if you're a big fish, <laughs> you don't want to be right. the one that gets fried. So, so yeah. you kind of understand, you know, why there's some trepidation there. Uh, but it has been a point of frustration for, you know, both patients and advocates and lawmakers. You know, I hear brought up a lot that they're trying to bring those barriers down so that more and more people can just have this as part of their holistic, traditional healthcare portfolio, you know, but we're not there yet. So that's, that's kind of like the remaining gap that needs to be closed for, for the program. Yeah. That needs to be buffed out as stoners would say. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, you brought up lawmakers. What kind of action did we see from them this session or even just in recent years to make medical cannabis easier to access? Yeah, so you renew your card less often, and each mm-hmm. doctor ha- can have more patients now. Uh, instead of a hard number, it's 1.5% of all the patients in the state. And the thing in there being like, they don't want one guy who's responsible for half of yeah. the cards, right? It's kind of that apocryphal Dr. Weed scenario. Um, yeah. But it, um, the flip side of that, though, is because of those patient caps, um, you know, I spoke with Tim Pickett, who founded Kindly MD, formerly the Utah Therapeutic Health Center. He's kind of the, one of the major card referring characters in town. Um, And he talks about how because of the patient caps, doctors can't do this as a full-time gig. So a lot of the time you'll have a medical professional who will rotate through these clinics for a bit until they hit their cap and then they rotate out. So if you're a patient, every time you go in, you see a new face, right? And that's not great. Like nobody, nobody likes that. And so that's one of the ways where that patient cap, you know, intended to prevent card mills kind of in a way perpetuates the card mill vibe. So it's it's just this this mm. this hole that we get trapped inside. The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City May 17th through 19th, and this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court, and this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at slclivingtrad. We talk a lot on this show about our city's crown jewels. What are the institutions that open doors in our community and regulate its pulse? I choose Salt Lake Community College, and it is a home for incredibly focused Salt Lakers. Nearly 80% of their students work while going to school, many full-time jobs. If I could do college all over again, I would not be 33 and sitting on these damn student loans. And slick students aren't. 80% graduate with little to no student loan debt or save thousands knocking out credits before transferring to a four-year institution. 
Every day, Salt Lake Community College is transforming lives and communities through education. If you want to learn something new, refine a trade, or pursue a higher degree for the first time, explore your options at slcc.edu. Study alongside hard workers, save precious money, and be one in a class of 19, not 100. Well, I mean, you cover Utah politics, so I'd be curious. I don't want to ask you for like a crystal ball, but where do you see this program headed? Ultimately, I think this program is going to get easier and easier and easier to interact with. Now, we can argue about when we cross into the realm of recreational use. I prefer not to make that distinction. I just think the program will become easier and easier and easier to get through. Now, having said that, and part of what my article gets into is we have all these other products in the market that don't even go through the medical program. So we have Delta 9, which you can pick up anywhere for cash without any card. What is Delta 9? Yeah, it's a good question. So Delta 9, Delta 8, Delta 10, uh, there's a bunch of numbers, but essentially Delta THC is derived from legal hemp. So for various reasons, the state and federal government allow you to process and create hemp products. There is science that goes above my head that has found ways to create active THC out of seemingly... Uh, inert hemp. So if it's legal THC product, how is it different from CBD ultimately? Right? Because isn't the whole thing, the difference between CBD and THC is that you like don't get high on CBD? Right. Traditionally, it's a yeah, CBD is the non-high and Delta exists in this weird gray area between the two where you're mm. you're going to get high. In fact, I mean, it's uh, some of these products have high levels of THC content. The experience is different and people have, you know, different attitudes toward it. But the fact of the matter is you can buy it at the nutrient shop down the street. I mean, you see these things everywhere. But we also have, you know, our neighbors that have recreational use. And more and more, we have lawmakers looking at magic mushrooms. So in, in a lot of ways, the future is moving beyond the medical cannabis program, um, whether that's recreational, recreational adjacent, or even some form of medical mushroom legalization, who's to say? Mm. But the the cannabis program, I mean, it's it's entrenched at this point, and it's just rolling. I mean, 66,000 plus Utahns, and that's just the ones with an active card. When you include the deactivated ones, we're nearly at 100,000. Yeah, that is a lot. I mean, yeah, if you've ever been in a large group of people, guaranteed there's a handful that have cannabis cards in their pocket. You know, if not just cannabis, I mean, that's even a bigger pool, right? But just the people with cards, you're guaranteed to have a few around you in a group of 100 folks, you know? Well, you brought up psilocybin or medicinal mushrooms. And the state, I, again, was pleasantly surprised to see started a task force to explore potentially legalizing them in some manner for depression, uh, substance abuse. It it feels like sort of the big sea change was when the case was made for psilocybin as a treatment for PTSD. There were a lot of veteran advocates that were on the Hill. Are they like, where are we at on that? Because I haven't heard much since last legislative session when they agreed to launch the task force. Oh, there's momentum building for sure. And not just here in Utah. I mean, we're really seeing around the country the embrace of psilocybin as a legitimate uh, mental health treatment. Now, there's a lot of different clinical studies and research. I mean, um, the national level, right, this is supposed to be a big year for some new research to be coming up. But just in general, right, Mm -hmm. you have different states trying different approaches to psilocybin. Uh, And, you know, here at home, 
once those initial knee-jerk reactions to the medical cannabis program started to subside, right, we're kind of getting on the other side of that, you kind of can't help but ask the question, oh, you know, what else has been overly burdensome regulation to death for the last, you know, 40 years? Like, what, what mm-hmm. else got swept up in this mistake our country made decades ago? Right. So, you know, that's where it gets harder to predict the future, but it's inevitable, right, that we're going to be asking these questions because the medical cannabis program shows so clearly that our approach to this and other drugs is just so wrong and so off the mark. Yeah. Well, you brought up the knee-jerk reaction, which is, you know, essentially the stigma of cannabis. And we are known for being a pretty conservative state, not just like politically, but also, I mean, you know, look at our liquor laws, right? So I want to ask you, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being like smoke weed in the streets, one being people are horrified by the idea of, you know, recreational even on the horizon. Where do you think Utah's at stigma-wise right now? <laughs> you know, it, and it's tricky. I mean, if you'd asked me Salt Lake City, I would have given you a much higher number because, I mean, I see okay, people... Okay, give sm- me the Salt Lake number <laughs> and the Utah number. Well, I mean, I see people smoking in the street constantly in Salt Lake, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've been anywhere where I haven't seen people using their vape cartridges, right? It's just, mm-hmm. in Salt Lake, there's a ubiquity that I think we've already achieved. Utah, I don't think you see it as openly celebrated, but we're heading there. I mean, so statewide, we're probably at a five heading towards a six. And here in Salt Lake, we're like at an eight or nine. Wow. Okay. Those are both higher numbers than I thought you would say. I mean, it's, it's, and to me, I go back to, you know, this last session on the Hill, right? There were bills about marijuana. You probably didn't hear much about them on the news. You probably didn't hear a lot of press conferences getting called because there's just not much fight left. I mean, it, it really is getting the feel of a settled question. And now we're just nibbling around the edges of this program, right? But that's like this bureaucratic headache. Like the big question is is answered. It's behind us. Benjamin Wood, City Weekly News Editor. Thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to dig into this issue. My pleasure. I gotta say, Utah's website for the medical cannabis program is pretty slick. If you want info about seeing a qualified provider to get a medical card or finding a nearby dispensary, it's all at medicalcannabis.utah.gov. One caveat with Utah's medical program that I find interesting is that technically, smoking cannabis is never legal. You can use a vape, but if you roll it up in a joint or otherwise take a flame to it, you are breaking the law. Edibles are illegal too, with the exception of gelatinous cubes. Mmm, gelatinous cubes. There is a lot to explore about Salt Lake's cannabis industry in this week's City Weekly, so pick up one at your favorite coffee shop or find the stories online at cityweekly.net. They're also sponsoring the 2023 You Can Utah Cannabis Conference. The annual gathering is back this July 15th in a really fun new venue, Dreamscapes at the South Town Mall in Sandy. That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you for listening. We will be back tomorrow morning with more from around this city. Take it easy.